Welcome to the Books Talk podcast from Lincoln City Libraries. This program was recorded at the Bethany Branch Library on November 16, 2018. Susan from the Isley Branch Library discusses some of her favorite recent reads. So, without further ado, a lot of my books are young adults, a lot of my books are adults. The first one I'm going to start with is The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. As a child, I grew up listening to fairy tales. As a 52-year-old woman, I still love fairy tales. And so this is a young adult book. Um, It is called The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert, and it's about a young woman named Alice, who is the granddaughter of a fabled storyteller, Althea Prosperpine. Althea Prosperpine wrote a book called Tales of the Hinterland. This book is incredibly hard to find. There's a limited number of copies. It mysteriously disappears when it does show up. And there are fans, and there are pages after pages on the internet devoted to Althea Prosperpine and the Hinterlands. Alice has never met her grandmother. Her mother refuses to talk to her mother. The story begins when Alice's mother is kidnapped, and it is the denizens of the hinterlands who are holding her mother hostage. They want Alice. Over the course of the story, we are introduced to the stories in the tales from the hinterland. This is the Brothers Grimm, the dark stories before Disney got a hold of them. If you like fairy tales, if you like stories nested within stories, you might want to read The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. It's so good. And for those of you who like to do audiobooks, it is an excellent audiobook as well. All right. This book will be on Pat's book because this is a notable book. This is also an Alex Award winner. This is a memoir. It was written by T. Bui who is a Vietnam immigrant, and this is about her family's trip to the United States, about their experience as um, recent immigrants to our country. And because she is an artist, she tells her story in graphic novel format. Yes, you know me, five years in a comic book store, guys. I love graphic novels. And she is an artist, much like Alison Bechdel, much like Art Spiegelman, and so she has chosen to use her art as her medium, and it is a great story. Um, it deals with how initially they, when they came to the United States, they lived with a family member in, I believe, Minnesota, which was incredibly cold, and it reminded me of my father the first, um, when the first wave of Vietnamese immigrants came to the United States, my dad and I were waiting at a stoplight on 11th and O., and a Vietnamese woman in a quilted coat crossed before us on um, O Street, and it was winter. It was a Nebraska winter, and my dad was like, she's going to freeze to death. (laughs) They didn't. I live in the Clinton neighborhood, and it is a wonderful neighborhood filled with delicious restaurants. You know, one of the best things is we are a nation of immigrants, and we have all adapted, so this is a great book. If you haven't read it, I strongly recommend it. Now, In January, I get the opportunity to go to New Orleans. I'm pretty excited about it because I love New Orleans. And this is The City of Lost Fortunes by Brian Camp. And it is about a young man who lives in New Orleans. And he has special abilities. Now, has anyone here read American Gods by Neil Gaiman? 
Okay, has anyone seen the TV show? Um, so Neil Gaiman is a British writer. He started off as a graphic novelist. Now he writes books. Um, this book, The City of Lost Fortune, shares a lot of um, themes with American gods. And so this young man um, has the ability to find lost things. And he has been in the employ of a god. But after Hurricane Katrina, he and many of his friends flood the city because of the hurricane, because of the flooding, because of the danger. And when he came back, his gift was different. And things in the city had changed. So he um, kept to himself, he kept the fact that his gift had changed a secret. Um, and he kind of like severed his old connections. Well, he gets an invitation to a poker game. And the sides, the allegiances, the power lines in New Orleans are shifting. And someone's making a power play, and they want to involve this young man. If you want to find out what happens, you might want to read The City of Lost Fortunes by Brian Camp. Um, it involves Haitian uh, history with Papa Legba, who is the god of crossroads. It involves European mythology. So I love how, again, it melds these stories together. Nonfiction, believe it or not, I do read nonfiction. Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond is a fascinating look at Milwaukee. And he follows um, four different families. This was a fascinating look, though, at the library. Um, we do a lot of workshops. We do a lot of trainings. And one of the things that we do is we talk about how can we be a bridge out of poverty? How can we help people better their lives and this was a fascinating look at how like if you're already living in poverty or if you're living on a limited income how sometimes the housing market apartments and different things um, are really stacked against you it was also a very intimate look at milwaukee now at the end of the book he does talk about how it applies to different cities but this is a close-up look at milwaukee and he looks at three different neighborhoods because based on this book, I, I gathered that there's a very strong racial divide in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. Okay, my next two books are together. Maureen Goo is a young adult author. This was actually, this is her first book, I Believe in a Thing Called Love, and it's on the Teen Read Week list this year. But this was the book that made me fall in love with her, you, um, The Way You Make Me Feel by Maureen Goo. And a, her books have a, a similar theme. Um, Maureen Goo herself is a Korean author. Both of her books have single parents. It is a father raising a teenage daughter. This book made me laugh out loud. Her name is Clara Shin. Her father has a food truck in Los Angeles. I also did not realize that many Koreans actually immigrated to um, Brazil. He is originally from Korea, or his parents were in, from Korea. He was born in Brazil and then moved to California. And so he has a food truck called Cobra, where he does kind of a Korean-Brazilian-infused um, mashup and made me hungry. <laughs> um, but her, his daughter, Clara, his, her mother is alive, but she really wasn't suited to parenthood. She's kind of a internet personality. She's like a mover and shaker, and she kind of um, focuses on trends, things that are hot. That's hot, that's not. So she's looking forward to spending the summer with her mother. 
Unfortunately, um, she and her friends are kind of pranksters. They're always getting into trouble. And somehow they decide that they're going to go to their junior prom. And they're kind of like laughing up their sleeve about it. Well, her friends elect her for prom queen. <laughs> and she's like, she does, oh, you know. And so it turns out she gets elected to prom queen. So being the prankster she is, she reenacts the scene from Carrie. I know, it was so funny. <laughs> I would have never dreamt of doing any of this in high school. I was, first of all, I never went to any of my dances, but secondly, like the whole thought of getting in trouble with my parents would have been like, <gasps> yeah, it was the 80s. I had more hair then. Um, but this book is a hoot. And so um, as her father, who's been a pretty lenient parent up to this point, lowers the boom and she has to spend the summer working on the food truck and it's just a great story it's funny I really loved it and so because of this book I read this um her first book so this is about a young woman named Desi she's being raised by a single parent unfortunately in this story her mother had died um and because of her mother's success as a doctor Desi has decided that she wants to follow her mother's footsteps so she is a wee bit of an overachiever she is going to be valedictorian of her senior class she is president secretary or vice president of every club in her school and she is captain of the soccer team she has applied for early admission to Stanford and in spite of the fact that she has organized every dance during her tenure as a student at her high school, Desi has never known love. So over Labor Day weekend, she decides that she is going to, she's going to get a boyfriend this school year if it kills her, gosh darn it. So over Labor Day weekend, she watches 72 hours of Korean soap operas. And she comes up with a 24-point plan of how to find true love. <laughs> For those of you who are unlucky in love, you might want to look it up. <laughs> um, and this book is definitely not funny. This is, um, this is an adult book, guys. But the reason I read it, and I wrote a newsletter about this, this was a very difficult read for me um, just because of some of the things it dealt with. So the name of the book is She Rides Shotgun by Jordan Harper. And the reason it came onto my radar was it was an Alex Award winner. Um, and the Alex Award is books written for adults, but they have teen appeal. And the reason this has teen appeal is because the main, one of the main characters is an 11-year-old girl named Polly McCluskey. And the reason she becomes the main character in this book is that her father, Nate, has just gotten out of prison. But unfortunately, while he was in prison, he got on the wrong side of some people, namely a white supremacist group called Aryan Still. And because he made the wrong move, they have put out a death threat on his life. And they have succeeded in killing his ex-wife. They have succeeded in killing his ex-wife's boyfriend and other family members. So Nate shows up at Polly's middle school after not seeing her for six years. And basically it becomes an Amber Alert because, um, but then there's also a police officer who's involved in the case and he's trying to save Polly, but Polly becomes a part of the story and she actually becomes an accomplice. And he is trying to get, Nate is trying to get this, um, basically this death, threat or it's not a threat this you know 
hit list. Hit list, right. He's trying to get off the hit list so that his daughter does not have to be on the run. It is it is a dark read. Um, you are looking at people who are involved in uh, making drugs, selling drugs, using drugs. Perhaps people you may not want to spend the holidays with. Um, it was a very difficult read, but an excellent, excellent read. Um, Polly is a character that you are rooting for, and I found myself rooting for Nate, too, because, I mean, people make mistakes, but they can, they can do better, and they can try, and he's trying to do better. He's trying to do the best he can. She Rides Shotgun by Jordan Harper. Just making sure I'm staying on task. <laughs> I know you, you guys have places to be, things to do. Heretics Anonymous by Katie Henry is a book about a young man. His name is Matthew, excuse me, Michael. Okay, when I book talk books for teenagers, I often will forget the name of the characters, but I'll remember what the book is about. And so sometimes I'll make up character names. Like, if they read the book, they can come back and tell me that wasn't his name. But I can remember what happened in the story. So Michael is a young man who has had to move quite frequently as his father has advanced up the, um, you know, executive ladder in his job. And Michael is tired of moving. Michael is an avowed atheist, and he is especially upset because his father has enrolled him in a private Catholic school because they are in a community where the public schools are not the best. He wants his son, you know, he's in college, or excuse me, in high school getting ready to go to college, and he needs to have a, an aggressive curricula vitae, so to speak. So he enrolls him in, in a, a very, you know, exclusive private Catholic school. And that's where he makes his friends, and they have a group called Heretics Anonymous. It is led by a young woman who is a devout, practicing Catholic. She believes strongly in the tenets of her faith, with one exception. She believes that women should be allowed to be priests, which goes against um, current Catholic practices. So... Um, there are other groups in the kids. One young man wants to wear a cape with his uniform. And, of course, he's always getting called into the office because a cape, you know, he's like, it's the same as a jacket. It just, it's a cape. I, I don't understand. It's the same color as my jacket, but why can't I wear my cape to, <laughs> to class? So he, he's bucking the system that way. Um, another of the members is Jewish and gay. Um, so there, he becomes friends with these people. He really likes Claire um, and hopes that maybe something might kindle between them. Um, and so they have the secret meeting. Nobody knows who the Heretics Anonymous are. And a lot of times what they do is they complain about the school. And Michael is the one who kind of gets them to take action. And one, it starts off innocently enough and then escalates at the end. And he has to um, make some apologies. No one is hurt. Um, the you know physically, um, but if you would like to know more, you might want to read Heretics Anonymous by Katie Henry. I love how it's a piece of toast. <laughs> All right, again, these books are available for checkout. <laughs> I knew what I was walking into. <laughs> we regret to inform you: An Overachiever's Guide to College Rejection by Ariel Kaplan. And I'm going to pair it, much like wine and cheese. <laughs> With this book, Dear Rachel Maddow, by, I hate it when we put stickers, Adrian Kistner. So I read this book first, and then I read this book, sorry. 
I'm new to these things. Um, I remembered ordering them. And so the, the thing for me that unites these two books together is one of my books is about a young woman who is an underachiever. She is in a remedial class. Um, Bryn, she had been on the school newspaper. It was her passion. She believes in freedom of the press. She believes in, 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 in news and exposing and reporting. But unfortunately, things are not going well at home. Her mom and her stepfather are a real piece of work. And her girlfriend broke up with her. And that's how, so in her remedial class, her assignment is to write a letter to someone who they admire. And she, her girlfriend introduced her to Rachel Maddow, and Rachel speaks to her. So this is an epistolary novel. It's written in emails to Rachel Maddow. But it is also about what's going on at her school. Her school is a public school, um, and they're hiring a new superintendent. And Bryn, um, there's her old girlfriend is with, like, the intelligentsia, the, you know, the smart kids. You know, it is 2018, guys, and I'm here to tell you that there are still groups in school, okay? It's not one big, giant, happy campfire where they are all singing kumbaya. There are cliques. Um... So, so Bryn's girlfriend, who is, you know, with the smart kids, are trying to get everybody in the lunchroom to sign a petition. They want a student representative on the superintendent hiring board. But, of course, they want one of the smart kids on the hiring board. Not, you know, just anyone from the school, but, you know, because this will look good on their, their resume for college. Well, Bryn calls her out on it. And she's like, that's not fair. You know, you guys are a small percentage of the school. Everyone should be represented. We should have an election. And, and the student body should be able to vote on who gets to choose this superintendent. And that's where the story begins. And it, it, it ends up helping Bryn. It's also, this is a hard book to read because Bryn's home life is not good. As, a, as an adult, I wanted to throttle her stepfather. But that's just me. Nobody was hurt in the telling of this tale. So we regret to inform you by Overachiever's Guide to College Rejection by Ariel Kaplan. So I read that book about a young woman who's an underachiever but pulls herself up by her bootstraps. And then I read this book, which is about, again, you know, the young woman who's looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, so this is about a young woman who is a scholarship student, Misha Abram Avicus. And nobody, like on, the, on your census where you choose if you are European American or if you're white or Hispanic or, like she can check several boxes. She's, she's got the waterfront covered. Um, her mom is a single parent. She is a lawyer, but she works for a nonprofit legal agency in, in Washington, D.C., they live in D.C., and she is a scholarship student at a prestigious school. And she's a senior, and she has applied to Princeton, to Stanford, to Harvard, to Yale. And she has the curricula vitae and the grades and everything else, the volunteer work, everything necessary. Thank heavens I graduated and went to college when I did. But everything now to get into one of those schools. She doesn't get into any of those schools. And so there is a secret group in her, her school. They hack into the files, and it turns out that there is uh, <clears throat> something fishy in Denmark. And the, the school, to keep its you know, reputation, even though she earned every grade and all of her points, 
have um, kind of skewed the grades so that, you know, if you've donated a significant fund to this school, your child will get to go to the college of their choice. Um, and unfortunately, Misha's mom was doing all that she could to just pay the balance of the tuition that was left that, you know, the scholarship didn't cover. So I really liked it. Miriam Sharma Hits the Road by Sheba Karim is about a young Muslim woman. Her family is not practicing. Um, her mom is a single parent. And this is about her and a couple of her friends. One of her friends is Muslim, and he is practicing, and he is devout. Unfortunately, though, he is also gay. And while um, Islam does not condemn homosexuality, you are not supposed to act on it. And he would like to. And so he's going to um, a, there is a convention in Florida for Muslims, and he's hoping that it might be a subject that might be addressed. So he tells his parents that they are going to this, but he's not entirely honest of why he's going to this. So he's, they're on a road trip. If you like road trips, there's adventures, there's excitement, and these three friends get to know each other better. So um, I liked how it covered the spectrum, because just like in every faith, you have people who take it very, very seriously. You have other people who are just that faith in name only, even though they haven't, you know, maybe left it. And then you have people who are like, I love my faith, but there are things that could change in it. So we do have a birthday this year. I would like to point out that it is Frankenstein's 200th birthday. Mary Shelley published Frankenstein in 1818 when she was 20 years old. Now, the edition we're probably most familiar with was published in 1831. She'd made a few revisions, but in 1818, a 20-year-old young woman penned Frankenstein. You go, girl. <laughs> my husband was crushed when I did not read his copy of Frankenstein because Mike wrote his master's thesis on Frankenstein. And there are numerous Frankenstein copies at my house with many of his annotations on it. And like, I don't need to know what you think about Frankenstein. I want to make my own opinions. Um, I love Frankenstein, and I've taken um, Frankenstein for Teen Read Week to share with the kids because it is a classic. There is a reason this book is still in print. There's a reason there are so many TV shows or, you know, books. Dean Koontz has a, a, a Frankenstein spinoff. Um, and John Castle wrote Pride and Prometheus. So Peggy knows one of my favorite books is Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. John Kessel, who is a science fiction writer. Oh, yeah, that's right. I also love science fiction, which is why I continue to date Mike. <laughs> Um, he wrote a mashup of Pride and Prejudice and Frankenstein. So we all know Mary Bennett, right? She was the, let's see, the third Bennett daughter. She was the one that was kind of a stick in the mud who, you know, kept playing the piano for when she should have stopped. You know, there was Jane who married Bingley, Elizabeth who married Darcy, Mary Bennett, who I thought it would have been perfect with Mr. Collins, and then Lydia and Kitty. So this book takes place 20 years after Jane and Elizabeth have married um, Bingley and, and, and Darcy. Um, and it is about Mary Bennett. And she is a spinster. And we meet her when she is on the coast and she is looking for fossils. And what I love about this book is it combines two books that I love. But it also combines real life. Because you meet Mary Anning. Do you guys all know who Mary Anning is? <sighs> guys, step up here. 
Mary Anning was a young woman. She was actually struck by lightning twice. Um, but she lived in um, Cornwall. I believe it was Cornwall. I, I could be having mistaken for Poldark because my boss has gotten me stuck on Poldark. Yeah, Aiden Turner. Oh, honey. Mary Anning, yeah. She is the one who started finding the fossils. And she, she would um, dig up these fossils. And, I mean, it goes on with John Waterhouse who tried to put these fossils together and he didn't really know what he was doing. <laughs> doing. It's a great book. If you haven't read John Waterhouse, it was a Golden Sower nominee, remember? Um, so she, she is in this book. And that's how we meet Mary Bennett because Mary Bennett is very excited about science. And then she meets Victor Frankenstein. And this book takes place in the time... Um, between the creation of the creature and he has told Victor that he needs to make him a mate. And so remember he goes up into the Hebrides in Scotland and the Orkney Islands and he has the cottage and he's going to be, you know, he's going to be making a mate for the monster. Mary meets Victor. And of course, you know, she kind of sets her cap for him because he's an eligible bachelor. Elizabeth Lavinzia is not in the picture. But... Things happen. Mary ends up on the road by herself because she's trying to warn Victor about something. And she meets the creature. And you guys, the creature is not <laughs> fire. I mean, the creature is articulate. He's reading. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I know I'm not Pat. <laughs> the creature is reading philosophy. He is, he is, he is reading, you know, books and he has these ideas and no matter how he was created he is a human being or not <laughs> just look he had no choice in his creation and then Vic victor frankenstein creates him and then he abandons him he rejects him who's the monster of this tale so okay sorry i it makes me upset <laughs> So Pride and Prometheus, Pride and Prejudice meets Frankenstein. It's like the bestest book ever. And because it is Frankenstein's, like there's some great biographies. I've just, um, it's on its way. It'll be available soon. But there's a great young adult biography called Mary's Monster. And it is about Mary Shelley. And it does a wonderful job of explaining Percy Shelley, explaining who her mother was, uh, explaining William Godwin and all these other things and how they went together. I don't have it yet, but it is in the catalog if you want to put a request. But another book I ordered was The Dark Descent of Elizabeth um, Frankenstein by Kirsten White. And this is about Elizabeth Lavenza, who is Victor Frankenstein's betrothed. And it takes the story and it flushes it out in a completely different way that you might not have thought of it. So in this story, Victor's mother hires, adopts Elizabeth because Victor has a fierce, horrible temper. And she adopts Elizabeth to kind of be his companion, to temper that temper, so to speak, to, you know, kind of serve as a buffer and in a way humanize him. And this book is about um, Mrs. Frankenstein, by the end of the book, is dead. And Victor is unchecked. He's gone um, to Ingerstolt, where he has made the creature. He's come back, and he's very different. And Elizabeth starts putting the pieces together. Elizabeth feels that her position in this family, because she's not related to them, is very tenuous. And so she's doing everything that she can to make sure that she is not turned out. Because, again, as a young woman in this in this time frame, if she doesn't have 
a safety net, she's going to be out on the street. So I thought it was a very um, interesting handling of a character in the story, how she furthered that story, but fit it into the framework of Frankenstein. All right. No book talk would be complete without my favorite, Stephen King. Another reason I've dated Mike. <laughs> I thought he was a book snob. <laughs> so raise your hand if you have read a Stephen King novel. Yay! Raise your hand if you've read this Stephen King novel. No, it's on my list. The Outsider. So, did anyone read the Bill Hodges trilogy, Mr. Mercedes? Yes. Okay, Holly Gibney's in this. Oh, okay. So yes. She's continuing, yeah. Yep, yep. Bill, Bill Hodges is deceased, but Holly Gibney is in this. And so, the well, out. I have read that one, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes they kind of blend into each other. I love Mr. King, but, but this is about, um, it is about a baseball coach a very well-loved um, member of the community and um, about a heinous crime that was committed against the child. The detective shows up with the police at the baseball game in front of the entire community and they arrest this man, Terry Maitland, and they put him in cuffs and they lead him away in front of everybody in this community and they tell him that he is being arrested for the death of this child. And... Everybody in the community gets fed up, you know, lit up to a fever pitch, you know, send him to the electric chair, he's got to die. And throughout this whole thing, Terry Maitland is maintaining his innocence. And he has a perfect, rock-hard, airtight alibi. I mean, he, there were people, he was at a conference with other teachers. He's a teacher. He works with children, which is another reason why the community, and he's been coaching Little League for years. They, in spite of the fact that his, three of his peers, three of his teachers say that he was at the conference, that the guy at the hotel, you know, who's an entire, like, six hours away says that he was, you know, he was at this conference. There's even a picture of him on tape because Harlan Coben, is the author who they've gone to see. He's on tape at the same time asking a question of Harlan Coben about a book. But still, so they're going to take him to trial. Things happen. And then, of course, it is Stephen King and the supernatural comes in. There is someone who, by just a scratch, can take the identity down to the DNA of that person and then do these heinous crimes. And it's up to us mere mortals to bring that monster down. I know, my mother's like, why do you read him? He's so weird. Um, because he tells a compelling story. And his characters, I have reread re The Stand over and over again. Stu Redman, Molly Ringworm, actually it's, it's Fran Goldsmith. <laughs> Those characters have always been with me. All right. How many of you have read H.P. Lovecraft? Oh, it's been a long time. Mr. Lovecraft has some issues. He tells a great story. And there's a reason that he is still studied and still read. But, and this is something pe people wrestle with. He was a racist jerk. Part of my French. Sorry. Um... So Victor Lavelle is an African-American writer. He lives in Brooklyn, 
And this is a book. The name of the book is The Ballad of Black Tom. And it is the answer to the horror of Red Rocks. A uh, Red Hook. Excuse me, Red Hook. Not Red Rocks. That's a concert <laughs> venue. Red oh. Hook. Yes. Um, this takes place in Brooklyn. And this is about a young man, Charles Thomas Tester. And he's um, a musician. Kind of a jack of all trades. And he kind of has a hustle. So the book begins with him delivering a, a page of an occult book to a magician in Queens. And that sets the story. It introduces him into a gen- to a gentleman who hires Charles to play at a party he's giving because he's a, a blues musician too. And he uses his guitar case um, as kind of, you know, people don't look at you, especially since he's an African-American man. This is, um, book takes place in the 1924. With his guitar case, he's a musician. People kind of tend to ignore him, and he uses this to his advantage. Um, it turns out that the page of the, of the uh, magical manuscript that he delivered to the magician in Queens is important. Other people want it. And there's also the element of the weird, the others, the old ones looking down on us. And um, Victor Lavelle does an excellent job of pulling all these strings together in a very slender volume. Um, And (laughs) it's a great story, but the thing that introduced me to Victor Lavelle, and unfortunately we don't have a physical copy of this book, but we have it as an e-book and a downloadable audio, is I listened to an interview with him on NPR, and he was talking about his new book called The Changeling. Now, remember my first book and how I told you I was obsessed with fairy tales and the wee folk and the good people and all those? So do you guys know what a changeling is, right? Yeah, the fairy is envious, and so they steal our babies and leave a changeling. And so he uses that idea in present-day Brooklyn, and it's about a husband and a wife who've had a new child, and the wife rejects it. She says, it's not my baby, and the story's off. So... Um, I definitely think he is an author to watch. Like I said, it reexamines H.P. Lovecraft's The Whore at Red Hook, um, and it's a good, good telling. Okay, for those survivals, I Am Still Alive by Kate Alice Marshall is about a young woman. Her name is Jess. Jess has had a rough life. Her parents are separated. She doesn't know her father. Her mom, who is um, a pilot, and her one and only, um, they are in a car accident. And Jess is really badly banged up. And her mother, unfortunately, is killed. And so when we meet her, she is on her way to the Alaskan bush to meet her father. Her father is off the grid for a reason. He got involved in the wrong people. He has no idea that his daughter is coming to stay with him. And he's living a very primitive existence. Like I said, he is off the grid. He lives in a cabin. Turns out he doesn't even live in Alaska. Um, She lands in Anchorage. A friend of her father picks her up in his bush plane and ends up flying her into Canada. He is not even in the United States, but he's living illegally in a Canadian forest because he is wanted by dangerous men who find him and kill him they don't know that Jess is with him Jess happened to be out um, gathering wood when they showed up they torched the cabin and it's winter in Canada right up there with Alaska so it's you know the same brutal weather and she's you know she can't run she's injured she doesn't really have the 
the survival skills necessary. So will she make it? I am still alive by Kate Alice Marshall. There's no cannibalism. <laughs> How many of you know who Armistead Mopan is? Tales of the City. Anna Madrigan. So, okay, so Tales of the City is a book um, from the, it was written in the 70s. I read it when I was in, like, high school and college. I loved that series, um, just how they grew, the characters grew up. Um, so it's about San Francisco in the 70s. Um, how many of you have seen the movie Milk? Yep. So kind of that, that thing. Um, PBS. For a while, and I think show it might have been on Showtime first, and then went to PBS. But there was a TV show, a TV series about Tales of the City, about these. You know, um, there was a young woman who had come from the Midwest to moved to San Francisco, and then there was Michael Tolliver. And Michael Tolliver was a young gay man who came to San Francisco, and of course, this was in the heyday. And in these stories, Armistead Mopin deals with like how San Francisco was a magnet for people who felt like they didn't fit in, who were gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender, because all of these characters appear in his story. And he deals with the haylight, with the baths and the dances and the clubs. And then he, as the story progresses, he deals with the AIDS epidemic and what was going on. So I've always loved his um, books and I've loved his writing. So I was really excited when I found out that Armistead Mopan had a memoir. And it's called Logical Family. And it, his title is from a line of his book. So he was very close to his family. Um, in some ways, this really reminded me of David Sedaris, but Mo Armistead Mopen is a little older than David Sedaris. I actually listened to this book, and he reads it himself, which I love it when the author of the book reads the story. But he talks about growing up in the Deep South with his family. His father was an insurance salesman. His mother was a housewife. Um, he talks lovingly about both of them. He talks about his siblings. He talks about his grandmother. He talks about as a young man growing up in the South, how he, he realized that he, you know, he wasn't like the other kids in his class. Um, and then he talks about how he was in the Navy, how he ended up in San Francisco. And he also talks about, so one of the main characters in Tales of the City is the landlady at 39 Barbary Street, Anna Madrigal. And he's written a book about her too, but he talks about, you finally find out who the, who the inspiration for Anna Madrigal was. So as a reader of that, I love that. But um, the thing I loved most about him is logical family is the family you create around yourself. You have your biological family, the people who you, you know, who you were born to, who raised you, who grew up with you. But then you have the people, the friends, the people who you surround yourself, who are your logical family too. Um, my Ex-Life by Stephen McCauley. I think it was NPR. I'm going to blame NPR. <laughs> it's their fundraiser, please. I've, I've already pledged because I, I do need to have like, you know, wait, wait, don't tell me every Saturday morning. I love that show. So my Ex-Life is about, um, it is about a gentleman who he is in a rent-controlled situation in San Francisco. He is a tutor. Um, and his, his life is kind of collapsing around him because the person who owns his apartment is selling it and so he may lose his rent controlled place and 
you know, with a lot of Kaplan and things online, he's also losing his student base as far as his tutors and getting kids into college. So when his ex-wife contacts him um, because they divorced because he realized he was gay, her second husband is leaving her for a younger woman, and their daughter doesn't seem to be interested in going to college, and so he, she contacts him to help her, one, motivate their daughter into going to college, and two, helping her get her, she's um, doing a, a bed and breakfast, like a bed R&B, you know, where you just, like, you find it online, and then you rent a room out to someone, so... Both of their lives are kind of collapsing at the same point, and they kind of use each other to get themselves back on their feet. And it's just a slice of life. You just get to see them for this four-month period as they are living together and helping each other. Okay, please see earliest comment about loving fairy tales. This is an adult book. Um, it is by Naomi Novik, and it's called Spinning Silver. This is the second book that she's written in this um, theme. The first one was Uprooted. The thing I love about her books is that she uses Eastern European mythology, so Baba Yaga and all that. And this is a story involving three young women. Miriam is the daughter of a moneylender who is poor because he refuses to call in his debts. And when her mother is sick and they don't have enough heat in their house, Miriam is the one who gets her father's black book finds out who owes what and she is the one as a young girl she's not i'm i think it begins like she might be 13 when she does this she is the one who goes to the door knocks on the door and like will not let them close it in her face that she insists that they pay part of their debt so that she can buy her mother medicine so that she can buy her mother food so that they can have enough fuel to keep the fire going and she her mother married below her. Her father, or her grandfather, is a famous moneylender in a larger Eastern European community. They never really use town names, so she goes back and shows her grandfather that look, she has the ability to turn silver into gold. Rumpelstiltskin, anyone? So there's this story going on. Of course, that ability, that gift, draws the wrong kind of attention to her. Um, we also meet Wanda. A young woman who, um, she is a peasant. Her father is a jerk, part of my French. Her father had borrowed money from Miriam's father. And the, Wanda comes into the story because Miriam shows up at Wanda's dad's door and says, you owe me money. And he goes, well, I don't have any money. He's basically drank it all away. So she insists that Wanda work for them to, in, in lieu of the debt. And then there's also the story of a young noblewoman's daughter who ends up getting married to the czar. And silver and gold and money is involved in all of this. Um, I love the way she braided the stories together. They're all connected. And all three young women end up helping each other. So if you like fairy tales, if you like Eastern European mythology, it's a great read. Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. Here's a quiet little story by Libby Page. Um, it takes place in Brixton, England. And it is about a public pool. It's about an older woman and a younger woman. The younger woman is a reporter for the community paper. The older woman has lived there her entire life. Um, she grew up in the area. She learned to swim in the Lido, which is a public pool. I had to look it up. <laughs> um, she learned to swim in the pool. She and her husband grew up in the neighborhood. And over the course of this small book, you learn about the, wo the woman, about her marriage, um, about 
you know, how her, her and her husband aged together. They wanted children, but it turns out that they were not able to conceive and, and they deal with that. But it is also about the fact that um, an investment group who's building a high-rise apartments, they want to take over the Lido and they want to make it a private health club so that it would not be available to everybody in the community anymore. And so the older woman and then the young reporter gang up together and then of course they end up helping each other. I'm not going to tell you if they say the pool though. The Lido by Libby Page. Has anyone read Dear Mrs. Bird by A.J. Pierce? All right, has anyone read the Guernsey Literary Potato Peel Pie Society? So I loved the Guernsey Literary Potato Peel Pie Society. So when I found out about this book, I thought, oh. And at first I thought, oh, yeah, she's just playing on the, the, the coattails of this. But this story ends up standing on its own. So it is about a young woman. It is Second World War. It is the British, you know, keep calm and carry on. It doesn't matter that they're bombing the heck out of us and we have to spend every night in the bomb raid shelter. Emmeline Lake really wants to be a war correspondent. And when she sees an advertisement in the paper to work for a newspaper, she has visions of like being in the front lines, you know, huddling under a helmet as she interviews soldiers. Turns out Mrs. Bird has a advice column. And she's writing an advice column for a magazine that was published like 50 years earlier. Like she will not deal with any marital problems. She will not deal with basically anything that the women during the war are facing. The fact that their husbands have been killed, the fact that maybe, you know, young, um, young women are, are falling in love and like, you know, they're boyfriend may be killed next week you know do they marry him now do they do they give up their virginity to him you know what if what happens if they find themselves in a family way so mrs bird gets all these letters but the only one she'll answer is like is it appropriate to wear white after labor day <laughs> um and so what emmeline starts to do is she starts to respond to these young women to these people trying to help them um of course, it blows up, but I'm not going to tell you what happens after that. But it's a really, it, it stands on its own. Initially, and I'm hoping the way it ended, in theory, they could continue. So I'm hoping maybe there might be a second book. Dance of Thieves by Mary E. Pearson is fantasy. Dun, 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 dun. You know, I grew up my entire childhood hearing, Susan, your problem is you have your nose in the book and your head in the clouds. You need to live in the real world. I do live in the real world. Someday my house will be paid off and all that good stuff. I mean, I pay my insurance. I vote. But sometimes you need a little escape. That's what books are for. That's right. I read everything, guys. Everything. I mean... I would have brought it, but we only have two copies in the system, and both of them are checked out, so I'll bring it in the spring. But I read George Policiano's new book, and if you haven't read that yet, The Man Who Came Uptown, oh, my gosh, it was so good. Never read him before. He was kind of tough, but, you know, because, <laughs> like, there's criminals. <laughs> so Dance of Thieves by Mary Pearson is a work of fantasy. It takes place in a world that I had previously visited. On the back is her first trilogy, the thing that I like about this book is that there are hints. There's maps in this, and as they're talking about it, there had been a, a great catechism. Something had happened, a huge catastrophe, apocalypse, if you will. And people had to take shelter, and this is like the society that has arisen after it. 
Now, if it's, you know, after what happens with The Walking Dead or after a nuclear bomb blast or after a world war, we don't know yet. But this is a new world. And it's based more on a feudal society. And this is about a young woman. Um, she is the part of an elite private guard for the new queen. And the new queen is loved by her people, but she is new. And so the other kingdoms around there don't entirely trust her. There's like some deals going on behind her back. And so she's sending out a delegation because there is someone who is hiding, in, they think, in this kingdom. The last time they saw him, he's been hiding for 20 years, but he had betrayed everyone and, like, you know, basically took the money and ran. He betrayed people, and there were a lot of people dead after this, but he survived. And so she wants to bring him down because she doesn't feel safe while he is still out in the world, especially since she has a new daughter. So she has sent her elite private force to go um, check this out. And it turns out that this young woman who, um, as the story unfolds, she had been abandoned by her mom. She had been an orphan. And they call her the 10 because she grew up on the streets. And the reason she's known as 10 is because she still has all 10 fingers. Because in spite of the fact that she lived by stealing, no one ever caught her. <laughs> so if you like fantasy, I mean, <clears throat> there's no magic. There are no owls that deliver messages to students in this. <laughs> but it's just it's just the story. It's you you grow to love the characters. My only frustration is, and if you read my newsletter, like sometimes I'm like, can you not tell your story in one book? It's the first book of a series. It'll oh. probably be a trilogy. Now, having said that, sometimes when like my series end, I'm like, no, I don't want to say goodbye to these friends yet. It is a good story. Um, the first trilogy was also very good. The first one is The Kiss of Deception, and that's about the queen. Not the Girls You're Looking For by Amina May Safi. And this book is unusual. I wish there were more books like this. Um, it is a young adult novel. Many of you are thinking, yeah, Susan, there's plenty of young adult novels out there. But this is a story about a young woman. Her name is Lulu Said. Her name is actually Layla, but she goes by Lulu. Um, she is Muslim. And it is about her and three of her best friends, three women friends. And it is about how sometimes girls are each other's closest friends. And then sometimes, even when you're friends, like you just, things happen. And, you know, suddenly, like, in spite of the fact there's four of you, like, three of you aren't talking to one of you, or maybe two of you are talking and the other two aren't, or somebody's, like, mad at somebody else. This is a story of a young woman named Lulu Syed who lives in Texas. Um, she is Muslim. She is one of few Muslims in her high school. And it is about her friendship with three other young women. And, again, they're not catty. They're not mean. One of the friends, Dolores Campo, is Hispanic. Um, there's Audrey Bachman and Emma Walker. And Emma Walker's like, you know, blonde, perfect, American apple pie cheerleader. Um, I know I'm drawing like broad general strokes here. But what I liked was it, it was, there's no, I mean, there's some romance, but it's not like they don't have their hat set for the same guy. Nobody gets pregnant. Nobody's, <laughs> I know, a young adult book where nobody gets pregnant. Who knew? <laughs> but it's just a story of these four young women's friendship and how it they've been friends for a long time but also sometimes they get upset with each other but they're still friends mm -hmm. fitness junkie by lucy sykes and joe piazza so yeah i will read anything 
Um, this is a book about a young woman. Um, she is in partnership with her best friend. Her best friend is this like small diminutive gay man who has started a wedding gown business. And she is, um, she comes from Sweets Chocolate. That was the family business. And she has turned her back on the family business to partner with her best friend. And they've been in business for like 15 years. They have a huge successful thing. They get criticized because the wedding dresses only go up to size eight. That means I would have to buy at least two and sew them together in order for me to fit into one. Um, I, yeah, yeah. My, my dress was not haute couture. Okay. <laughs> it was fine. It was on sale. Woohoo! <laughs> so they've been criticized. Well, she is, um, in a divorce and she is like the person who often goes to like publicity events and paparazzi. Well, she gets cut out of the business because her supposed best friend, who I think is kind of catty, um, tells her that there's a clause in her contract that she cannot weigh over a certain amount because she is the face of this company. And so suddenly she's doing every diet. She's eating clay. She's having meals delivered to her, di- her door. Um, she is, you know, enrolled in these elite classes. And so the story is about, like, one, the length we will go to sometimes to lose weight when – Everybody's like telling her like, yeah, you put on a couple of pounds, but you don't look that bad. I can't believe, you know, he's like, (laughs) I mean, it's not like she's, you know, the Goodyear woman, even if she was. So what? (laughs) So it's about that. But it's also about how she kind of like, she's kind of set this guy as her North Star, you know, as the person who decides what she does, who she talks to. And she starts to realize, is he really my friend you know is is he really looking out for me so it's there are funny laugh out loud parts like I was just thinking you know just everybody has to find like their perfect place to exercise or to be or how they want to look but like to have someone like there's a a a fitness instructor who yells at people like almost like a drill sergeant like you you dirty you need to you know You're paying someone to yell at you? Really? Fitness junkie. Oh, and my last book. Stay sweet. (laughs) Um, Does anyone know how to pronounce her name? Shabon. Shabon. Thank you. Shabon Vivian. Um, I, this is just a really nice story. Um, It is about a young woman. Her name is Amelia, and she is a senior in high school, and this is her and her best friend Summer, because she is going to be the manager at Mead Creamery. In their small community, there has been a long tradition that this creamery is only staffed by young women, and the senior girls always the manager. And they're the ones who, you know, give you all the inside dirt about high school, like what teachers are easy, how to skip, um, you know, how to, like, put on lipstick, how to make, you know, meet boys and talk to them. And the story goes back and forth. It begins um, during the Second World War. And it's about two friends, and her father has a dairy farm. And her boyfriend, the man she loves, is off at war. And so she's writing letters to him, and she's with her best friend. And they're like, they decide that she makes this ice cream. And like, she won't tell anybody what the recipe is. So, That's how they they have it at a contest. It's a raise money for the Red Cross to send overseas to the boys. 
So it begins in 1942, like, but then it comes to present day, and we meet Amelia, and she is going to be the head girl. Well, it turns out the, the woman who owns the creamery, the woman who we meet as a, a young woman writing to her a fiancé, dies. And her nephew, Garvey Mead, takes over the creamery, over the ice cream business. And his father is like this cutthroat businessman. And he's got like this, you know, portfolio, this binder of like, this is what you need to do to make this creamery a success. So it's kind of a battle between those two, although they become friends. And they're trying to figure out how is the one ice cream that they are known for? How do they make it? How can they save the creamery? How can Garvey, because Garvey doesn't want to follow his father's footsteps. He's a different person. He, he does not want to be as cutthroat as his dad is. How does he stay true to himself but also make his father happy? It's just, a, again, it's a slice of life. I loved how the story goes back and forth between, because there are letters about um, what's going on with, um, you know, with the war, what happens after the war, and how... The dairy farm literally gets transformed into this ice cream. Like, her ice cream becomes legendary. I mean, she has strawberry. She has vanilla. She has chocolate. But she has this secret flavor that, you know, like nobody knows what it is. And they have to figure out how to make it because that, like, people are like, well, don't you have this? And so I would classify it as a summer book because it's about, it takes place over the course of a summer. It's about ice cream. Ice cream's good all year round, though. Oh, I know. <laughs> That's it, guys. That's all. Thanks. Did, uh-oh, let's see. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from Lincoln City Libraries. You can find a wide selection of our podcasts of book talks and other programs at lincolnlibraries.org slash category slash podcasts. Mm-hmm.